and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case. I'm joined today once again by our Head of Legal Training here at DJB, Richard Snape. Today we will be taking a second look at some of the cases that Richard touched on in his webinar that took place on Monday, 21st of June, on commercial lease case law updates for 2021. Richard, it's lovely to see you again, how are you? Hello, it's been a long time. It has, it has. I mean, we, we did touch base yesterday on our news flash, um, but it's lovely to see you again. And uh, thank you for joining. Um, so I'll jump straight in. I believe the first case that you wanted to uh, run through was the WH Smith and Commerce case of 2021. Could you tell us a little bit more about the background of that one? Yeah, um, it's uh, WH Smith and Commerce Real Investment Gesellschaft. Um, it's a case from uh, this April, um, and uh, it's only a county court case, so I'd stress that, and they do not set precedents. But it's quite an interesting case and quite a, a very, very topical case. Uh, the background is that uh, it's uh, in the Westfield Shopping Centre in Shepherd's Bush in London. And WH Smith's uh, large, obviously, huge shopping centre. And WH Smith's uh, have a, a shop there, which also includes a post office, uh, about 16,000 square foot, so you know, pretty big WH Smith. Um, and uh, their lease was uh, from 2008, 10-year lease with a five-year review. And the rent review had taken place in 2013, and the current rent was uh, £953,000 per annum. Um, and uh, it was going through a 54-act renewal. Um, and uh, there's a couple of issues in relation to it, and I say that's the background, but the first issue was in relation to the terms of uh, a 54-act renewal. They, they both agreed, both landlord and tenant, commerce were the landlords, uh, to a five-year lease um, for the new lease and not a 10-year lease. Um, incidentally, I don't think the landlord could have objected out really. The tenants can't get more than a 15-year lease under a 54-act renewal, but uh, they usually get what they're asking for unless they're asking for longer than the original term. Now, that wasn't really an issue. There were two issues. One, uh, which is perhaps the most uh, important, although they're both quite significant, was uh, the tenant wanted to change the terms uh, and include a rent suspension provision, which didn't just relate to um, damage and destruction of the property as uh, it already did, but also in relation to pandemics and uh, either statutory requirements or if uh, it was deemed necessary the, the WH Smiths itself uh, had remained open during the various lockdowns, um, non-essential uh, retail obviously had to shut down, but as there was a post office in the premises, uh, then they were allowed to remain open, actually contractually required to remain open. Um, they, however, lost dramatically because the vast majority of the shops in this big centre were, were closed and there was much reduced foot, uh, footfall and uh, the, uh, they were claiming that their profits had been reduced by about 90%. They're just there in an otherwise empty shopping centre. And so they wanted to, uh, I say, change the rent suspension provisions. And uh, if any non-essential retail had to shut down, even if they remained open, they wanted to have the rent suspended. The landlord was actually happy, I'm not sure happy is the right word actually, but the landlord was happy to... Uh, reduce the rent by 50% if there was a statutory requirement to suspend, uh, to shut down. Um, but uh, all other obligations like service charge liability would remain. And that was the main item for the dispute. 
Now, it goes to Section 35 of the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act, which uh, basically says, in terms of you know, deciding the terms of the new tenancy, you should have regard to the terms of the current tenancy. Um, the major case in the past is a case called the Main City of London Real Property Company, a House of Lords case, as it was back in 1983, uh, which says many things, but the major judgment, uh, Lord Wilberforce, says that the starting point is the old lease is the basis of the new lease. You know, it's the person wanting to change the terms who has to show a reason for changing the terms and things like a change to the rental. Uh, is not necessarily conclusive. Um, if there's a term that's obsolete uh, or deficient, then they'll change the terms. Otherwise, they have got to strike a balance what's fair and reasonable between the parties, but the starting point is the terms remain the same. Uh, the court decided that uh, because of the current climate, a year and a half, two years ago, people just didn't include rent suspension provisions in relation to pandemic as opposed to damage or destruction of the premises. But uh, with uh, coronavirus, that's all changed and the large majority of new leases are including such provisions. And for that reason, the court decided this was the industry norm and uh, the tenant had their way. The rent and service charge liability would be suspended, not just if the WH Smith had to shut down, statute or because of you know, sort of health concerns but any non-essential retail had to shut down uh, so that was the first part of it okay and so what was the the second part of that case well you always have to decide the terms um, and I do stress again I probably should have stressed that that uh, case depends to a large extent on its facts that um, uh, you know, this was a large shopping centre where you know, large WH Smiths was somewhat buried and the rest of the shop shut down. It doesn't necessarily follow that it would apply to other premises. And again, I do stress it's only a county court decision and not really a precedent. But once you've decided on the terms, you can go to the next stage and decide what the new rent should be. It's a very good case for valuers uh, to look at. And I can't pretend to know about the valuation implications. But section 34 of the Landlord and Tenant Act basically says in the absence of agreement between the parties, uh, you have to decide what's a reasonable open market rent with a willing lessor and a willing lessee. And uh, there's various disregards. You disregard the tenant's current occupation, the tenant's goodwill, and any voluntary improvements. It's woefully inadequate, actually, because it, it goes back to the 1950s and rent review was barely heard of in the 1950s, obviously moved on a huge amount. Uh, incidentally, the 54 Act the government announced on June the 16th is going to go through major review sometime in the near future, they say by the end of this year, so keep your eyes open on that. Um, but the, as I mentioned, the, the current passing rent based on the rent review of 2013 is £953,000 per annum. And uh, not just because of COVID, but because of what's happened to the market generally. Uh, well, that should go down. The landlord's experts said the new rent should be in excess of £700,000. And the tenant's experts said it should be less than £170,000. Uh, that is a heck of a difference between the two people. The court looked at various aspects and comparables and the fact that there'd been an extension to the Westfield uh, shopping centre, which was meant to be um, occupied uh, by New Look, who uh, went through a CVA and won't occupy it now. 
Uh, but they decided, uh, and again, I'll leave it for the valuers, that the new rent should be £404,666 approximately. Uh, and uh, around about 20% of the, the reduced rent was down to you know, the risk involved for pandemics in the future. Uh, interestingly, the landlord argued there should be an uplift of 10% in the rental because they'd uh, got this rent suspension provision in relation to lockdowns in non-essential retail. Uh, the court decided that uh, such rent suspension provisions are now the industry norm and therefore that would be built into the equation into the rental anyway. Uh, and so there was no uplift of 10%. And so you take it as you will, but uh, potentially highly significant. Uh, and I'm sure it will be the last case in this particular area. Wasn't there another case involving Commerce Real Investment Gazelle Shaft this year? Uh, yeah, that was the uh, TFS doors case from the, well, more or less the same time, actually, which is better news for, for landlords. It was, again, involved the Westfield Centre. And TFS, who featuring quite a few cases of late, um, are the fragrance shop. Uh, and uh, they obviously sell fragrances and perfumes in amongst other places, the Westfield Centre, where they have got shops all over the place. Uh, since uh, the beginning of the lockdown, uh, there's been an inability to... Um, sorry, uh, since the beginning of the lockdown, the uh, Coronavirus Act uh, states that you can't... Um, forfeit uh, for non-payment of rent commercial property uh, and that's actually been extended on June the 16th to uh, from the end of June June the 30th this year it's now been extended to March the 25th Lady Day uh, next year and also there's provisions whereby the ability to recover rental through commercial rent arrears recovery has been made uh, sort of massively limited and that's also been extended to March the 25th next year in England, at least. Um, but uh, the legislation doesn't say anything about an inability to sue in debt for non-payment of rent or service charge or whatever it might be. And it doesn't say anything about not being able to claim off guarantors or delve into, into rent deposits. Uh, since April 2020, TFS, uh, since, uh, they hadn't paid any of the rental. Um, and uh, the landlord sued them in debt, and the landlord succeeded. I wasn't surprised by the case. It's causing a bit of a stir, but uh, so I think it was uh, sort of quite clearly the case. The tenant put forward various arguments, um, some of which were complete non-starters. There is a, something called um, the Code of Practice on the relationships between landlord and tenant uh, during the COVID. It's a government code of practice from June of last year. It was actually... Uh, updated in April of this year, um, but it is a code of practice and it's not legally binding. It's quite clear. And amongst other things under the code, you should cooperate between one another. It was actually held that the landlord had cooperated, the landlord had taken reasonable steps to get this money. And it seemed more that uh, the tenants were not so much unable to pay the rent, but unwilling to pay the rent. Uh, and uh, there were other sort of arguments put forward, such as a landlord had um, taken out insurance for themselves uh, to cover business interruption, which includes uh, pandemics and the likes. 
and uh, they basically argued that the landlord should have taken out insurance covering the tenant uh, for lost profits and the likes of the court so there's no such implied term uh, so that was uh, as I say, quite a clear-cut case as far as I'm concerned and that's the good news for landlords I don't think you'd be well advised to go around suing tenants left right and center and frankly i mean i'd be very very reluctant to affect forfeiture for non-payment of rent even if i could or for any other reason not least of which because uh business creates liability on empty properties when i can't bring let after three months in the retail sector at least uh so that was the other case and say so, um that's the good thing for the landlord Thank you for running us through those, Richard. And I believe another case that you want to discuss was the Criterion Buildings and McKinsey and Co case that came through again this year. Could you run us through that one, if that's okay, please? Yeah, I mean, that was early in the year, and it follows on from another case I was discussing, uh, Sarah and Hossein uh, v. Blacks. And uh, the background to Criterion Buildings, um, some of you may even know the site. It's uh, Criterion Buildings is on the edge of, Piccadilly, Piccadilly Circus and backs onto German Street at the back. Uh, central London, uh, it's got the Criterion Theatre there and the Criterion Restaurant. And uh, the uh, also McKinsey have got offices there. McKinsey are an American um, management consultants who have got sort of businesses all over the world. And they'd agreed a service charge liability the service charge liability said that uh, the tenants had to pay a due proportion of the service charge. And a due proportion was a fair proportion as determined from time to time by the landlord or their surveyors. And there was no sort of suggestion of reasonableness and the likes. There'd been an ongoing uh, dispute between the parties been going on for the best part of six years since 2015. Uh, and that the tenant was questioning the service charge liability. They were first questioning the allocations and uh, saying that other tenants, basically the criteria in the theatre, have been favoured. Uh, they were also questioning reserve funds and landlords' payments towards sinking funds uh, and whether they were necessary. And also some of the work that had been done, primarily, as I remember, it was a, a lift that had been replaced at huge expense. And the tenants were arguing that it didn't need to be replaced. Um, it still had some life expectancy left to it. And that was the background case. It is a high court case. Uh, and the court decided that uh, that provision, you pay a fair proportion as determined by the landlord or their surveyors, was quite clear cut. Uh, in the absence of something like fraud or irregularity, uh, which they were pre prepared to imply into that, then you would uh, have to pay what the landlord had said you have to pay. There's no ability to question outside fraud or irregularity. And that's a very, very common clause that you'll see. And there was a similar case that you were mentioning on service charge, and that was Sarah and Hussein Asset Holdings and Black Outdoor Retail. And I think that came through last year. Yeah, they're both, both of these cases sort of either side, a couple of months either side of Christmas. Uh, this is a court of appeal case, um, and uh, Blacks are, you know, the outdoor clothing people. And this was in central Liverpool, the Blacks in central Liverpool. And suffice to say, again, it's uh, about service charge, contested service charges uh, over a period of two years here. Not quite the same level of potential liability, the criteria of buildings they were claiming 
2.2 million pounds plus interest service charge liability. Um, this uh, was not quite in that kind of domain. But uh, the tenants were questioning that uh, whether various works that have been done could be added to the service charge in the first place. The service charge provision said that in the absence of uh, manifest or mathematical error or fraud, uh, the landlord's certificate uh, would be conclusive as the relation to the service charge liability. Again, you know, something you see on a not irregular basis, some variation of that. Uh, and the court decided, the Court of Appeal, that that means what it says. Uh, there is, uh, you could some conclusive. And you can't question either the itemized statement or the total amount. Uh, the the um, Criterion Buildings case and this, although not as directly stated really, that the test is a subjective one. If the landlord subjectively believes that that is your liability, that's your liability. And what should tenants do about that, Richard? Well, obviously, there's a problem with all those existing leases that have got that provision. Um, I think new leases should, well, tenants A can start thinking about a reasonableness test. There's an implied reasonableness test. If you're dealing with residential service charge liability, there's no statutory control of, uh, of commercial properties. Um, so you might just think about you know, reasonableness test and the potential for adjudication. It's suggested also that you might make uh, the service charge liability not subjective, but uh, objective, with the tenant being the one with the burden to show that this is not objectively a good service charge. You'll certainly need to sit down with landlords and surveyors and tenant surveyors and the likes and think about clearly what is within and what outside the service charge liability. Uh, especially in a case like Criterion Buildings, is think carefully about caps on service charge liability. And again, I'll leave to the surveyors uh, the details of that. Uh, or fix service charge liability if you think it's appropriate. And there was one more case that you wanted to run through that you weren't able to mention in the webinar, I believe. And that was Wigan Borough Council and Scullendale Global Limited of 2021. Could you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that? It, it was a case I put in the notes, um, but it wasn't something that was uh, you know, advertised on the flyer. And it is a case when it was brand new back in May. I did mention um, when I did a, a break clauses uh, course video conference. Uh, it's important in its own context, especially for people like local authorities. It involved a, a late Georgian stately home in Wigan uh, called Hague Hall. Um, and uh, the council owned the site. It had been um, uh, gifted to them sometime in the post-war years, and they owned this site. Uh, they granted a 199-year lease to Scullendale at a premium of £400,000, uh, and uh, they had a break clause. Scullendale were meant to convert the premises uh, into a four-star type hotel, uh, which would also be a wedding venue. And uh, they had to have 30 rooms in this hotel and uh, uh, the roof was gonna be a sort of a room suitable for, for, for weddings and the likes to be held. Uh, and um, they, they had a break clause, which basically said that uh, if you didn't within two years, uh, 
comply with the planning permissions, then the landlords had the ability to break the lease and bring it to an end on two months notice at any time. So it's sort of a rolling break in favour of the landlord. Uh, the lease was uh, entered into on, on May the 23rd, 2016. So the second anniversary was May the 23rd, 2018, and they hadn't complied with the planning permission. It was a grade two star listed building and Wigan's uh, planning authority were kicking up a fuss about various things, although they did have planning permission, I do stress. Uh, they uh, didn't do anything. Wigan didn't do anything about this until September of 2019, 14 months later, when they gave two months notice, terminated on in November. And uh, Scullendale argued that you can't do this because you've sat on this for the next for 16 months without doing anything, it's too late. And the court decided on the wording that uh, it isn't too late. Uh, it says that you can serve two months notice at any time. Uh, they did limit it. Uh, it's, it's Incredibly, I mean, I don't know why they accepted that as a matter of drafting in the first place, because on the face of it, it looks like you know, during the next 199 years, you can give two months notice at any time. Uh, they limited it to during the time of the breach, you can serve at least two months notice, but as the breach was still occurring, uh, then you could still give notice. Uh, and the, uh, the Borough Council, the landlords won. Um, they dealt with the fact that, well, Amongst other things, uh, Skull and they were arguing, well, it's Wigan Borough's Council's fault that we haven't completed on time because their planners are kicking up a fuss. And interestingly, the court said that Wigan Borough Council as the landlord and the lease are a totally different entity than Wigan Borough Council planning authority, and that didn't matter. Um, they also said that the court would be prepared to imply a term that uh, you could serve as a tenant a trigger notice. Uh, making time of the essence, and that would be implied. Uh, it wasn't all doom and gloom for Skull and Dale. They had the ability, if the lease uh, was terminated by the landlords, uh, either getting compensation at market value or getting the premium plus the value of any improvements paid back. Um, and I suspect they'll be getting the market value compensation. Um, ended a bit abruptly. And I suspect they'll be uh, claiming market value compensation. But it is a word of warning in terms of you know, breaks generally that you have to get the wording correct. And it's a case that perhaps should never have arisen. Okay, and that's it, Hannah. Perfect. Well, I think that's a great place to end this here, Richard. Once again, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure as always. Right, thank you. And to all of our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unpacking the Case as much as we did.